Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Uh, we're reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 51. Um, Since the very beginning, God sought to have a relationship with us. He loves us. Um, And this is really, really evident in the way that he speaks to us and he reveals himself to us. Um, And he does that primarily through his word, the Bible. Uh, So that's why it plays such an important role here at Providence. Um, We're about to hear from 1 Samuel today. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to borrow one from the church, just raise your hand and one of our lovely hospitality team members will be able to lend you one. In the church Bible, it's on page 197. Just give you time to flick to it. First Samuel chapter 17, and we're starting from verse 32. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. 
So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Uh, there's a book that I'd like to read to my daughter Tilly. Uh, it's called uh, Rosa, and it's very cute. Uh, it's from a series called Little People, Big Dreams. I don't know if Tilly likes it, but I like it. So I pick it up every time uh, before she goes to bed, and I try to read it to her. Uh, it t- it, it, I like it because it tells the story of Rosa Parks. Do you guys know who Rosa Parks is? Yeah, most people, hopefully. Uh, she's one of my heroes. Uh, the whole series of books are about little people, but people who have big dreams. And tell the story of, uh, this one tells the story of Rosa Parks. And if you don't know who Rosa Parks is, let me tell you a little bit about her. On the 1st of December in 1955, uh, she made a difference in the world because uh, during that time there were these segregation laws in America. These segregation laws meant that um, black people um, didn't have the same rights as uh, the white people in America. She lived in a city called Montgomery in Alabama. Alabama? Alabama? I don't know how to say that without an American accent, Alabama. And it was during the time where segregation meant, you know, uh, black people had to sit at the back of the bus. They had other rules like you couldn't use the same water fountains, you couldn't use the same toilets, they had separate toilets, they had to use a different library even, they had less opportunities. And so uh, there was one day, uh, she was, uh, she finished work and she was really tired, she got onto the bus and she had to sit at the back of the bus where the rows were designated to black folk, right? And so this is uh, what she did. As she, as she sat on the bus, uh, people came onto the bus, it got really full, and there weren't enough seats for the people in the front. So the bus driver actually asked the back row to stand up so that those uh, who uh, weren't black could get on and sit down as well. So she, she was able to, she was allowed to, by law, sit in her chair. But the bus driver asked her to get up. Uh, she refused. She stood her ground. Uh, she was then thrown into jail for it. She was arrested, thrown into jail, found guilty for violating segregation laws and fined. What happened was her courage that night was it really a key part to triggering the civil rights movement from there on. Uh, you might have heard of the names Martin Luther King Jr., all that. Uh, that, that night, sitting on that bus, was what triggered that, uh, the civil rights movement. She chose to stand against, sit against, really, the heavy hand of the law and face the consequences. But she did it. She did it with courage. She did it because she was tired of giving in all the time. And she'll be remembered in history as a hero for it. That's why I love this book, and that's why I love reading it to my, to my daughter. Um, and I love that they do this series, helping our young people, helping our kids hear these stories, inspirational stories, and uh, to, to be empowered, to think about how we can dream big and be able to make a difference in our world. I love these stories because it's about the underdog, isn't it? The underdog, the least expected, that rises up to conquer and triumph, even against all the odds. It's what many today would even call a David and Goliath story. The small individual going up against a giant corporation. Uh, the, the losing team with all the rejects going up, the, going up against the superstars. We love the underdog story, and that's why so many movies have that very theme, don't they? Karate Kid, The Mighty Ducks, Cool Runnings, Remember the Titans, Dodgeball, Space Jam, pursuit of happiness, you know, all these stories about how the underdog rises up and uses their apparent weaknesses to their advantage, finding the strength within to conquer their fears or or being empowered to beat the odds against you. We feel empowered and inspired, able to take on the giants in our lives. 
But as good as these stories are, how often are they realistic in our lives? Every moment of every day, are we slaying giants? There are times in life, aren't there, where those giants sometimes seem so undefeatable, no matter how hard we try. You give it a shot, sure, but you find you just hit a wall again. You hit your limit, your capacity, things are out of your control, and you realize that no matter how much you want victory in your life, you're only human. There are some enemies in life that you simply can't win against on your own. Sometimes there are things out of your control. The economy, job security, difficult relationships, or loneliness. Our mental health, sometimes sickness, and even death. Sometimes there are these things that there is little we can do against them. These enemies that we, can, uh, that we can't fight. Where can we turn to then? Where can we turn to for a champion when the struggle is too great? When the fears and the circumstances and the giants before us can't be slayed by our wits or our abilities or our strengths. You see, the David and Goliath is one that is so well known in the Bible. But today I want us to see who the true hero of the story is. And how that hero changes everything for us. And the way we face our fears and our struggles. Even the giants that threaten our very lives. We're reading a story that happened about 3,000 years ago, so let me put it in a timeline. 3,000 years ago, ancient Israel, they're God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, in chapter 8, what we heard weeks ago, is they've asked for a king to lead them. Uh, and in doing so, uh, they're rejecting their own God as their king. They wanted to be like the nations around them. They didn't want God as their king. They wanted a king. Sounds really rude, doesn't it? Yet God, in his grace and his kindness, gives them a king called Saul. He's a tall, handsome man. We see him crowned as the first king of Israel in chapter 10. But things took a quick turn. Uh, by chapter 15, which was our last sermon a couple of weeks ago, uh, we heard about Saul's downfall, didn't we? We heard about uh, his disobedience of God and consequently God's rejection of Saul as king. And that's where we are in the story. Uh, today, as we were, we're going to hear about David. Uh, and he's a, he's a shepherd boy. And we're going to hear about his battle against uh, this great warrior, Goliath, uh, that Grace read from us. He's from the Philistine army, long-term, long-time enemies of Israel. Uh, let's, let's get to know David first. Before we get any further, just so you guys can get to know who this person is that shows up in this story. Uh, we have to go to chapter 16, which we didn't read. We'll go there, but we'll read a little bit from there. Uh, God calls Samuel to go to this town of Bethlehem. And in this town of Bethlehem, he's going to meet a man called Jesse and have Jesse's son stand before him. Uh, and these sons are going uh, to be the ne- one of those sons is going to be the next king in line. So God has told Samuel, "Go meet this guy Jesse. One of his sons will be the next king." He gets there, he meets Jesse, and this is what God says to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, "Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart." Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, "The Lord has not chosen these." So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. This is a chapter before what we read. Okay? 
David, Samuel, anoints him to be the next king. Now, I imagine this picture here with, with seven sons standing before Samuel. I imagine it to be like a beauty pageant a bit, like a bodybuilding maybe competition. All the, all the sons lined up, you know, flexing their muscles. You know, that sort of, you know, that sort of picture, you know, and they, they're there auditioning before Samuel. Uh, and so they've got seven brothers there standing in front of, <laughs> um, seven brothers there standing before Samuel, and uh, Samuel isn't impressed by any of them. And what happens is he asks, where, where is your other son? The shepherd one. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because David seems like an unlikely candidate. He's the youngest of the, of, of the, of the rest. And uh, you've got his brothers, right? They're, they're, they, they seem to look like kingly material. That's why Jesse brings them out. And David is some shepherd boy that's just like, he's almost forgotten about. Yes, he, he might be handsome, but he doesn't appear outwardly like a, the warrior type. And see, what we're meant to understand is David is chosen by God, not based on worldly human expectations of what might and power looks like, but what God sees in his heart. Unlike King Saul, who we already know about, who seemed apparently confident on the outward appearance, he was lacking integrity, lacking a, a heart of obedience for God. This time, God doesn't want Samuel to consider appearance or height, and I'm sure David's brothers all look like kingly material. God sees the heart of David. That's what we find out in chapter 16. We see God choosing this young man, with, with, uh, anointing him and his spirit coming powerfully upon him. Uh, and that's setting the foundation for the context, right, of what happens in chapter 17 when he goes up against this giant Goliath. Let's read about Goliath now. In chapter 17, verse 4, we're introduced to him. I've got this on the screen. You can follow along. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. This guy is a giant. Uh, if you don't know cubits and spans like I didn't know, six cubits is about three meters tall. All right, That's from what the, the scholars say. Uh, it's taller than most NBA, like all NBA players. Uh, in the Guinness World Records, uh, the tallest guy is a guy called Robert Wadlow, I think his name is, 2.72 metres. Goliath is taller than that guy. And, and even with this guy in the, in the Guinness World Records, I read about it, uh, he's tall and he's a bit lanky. He suffers from this health issue called uh, pituitary gigantism. It's this thing that leads to abnormal growth. Yes, he's tall, like Robert Wadlow, he's tall, yes, but he's sort of this lanky, sort of slender man type who needs crutches to walk. And it's a very common thing, apparently, if you have these health issues, pituitary gigantism, another, uh, it has come up in history before. But that doesn't seem like the case with Goliath, does it? He's not just tall, but he's also beefy. Like, he's wearing armor that weighs about 5,000 shekels. Again, what I understand that to mean is about 57 kilos of armor he's wearing. I mean, that's not far off how much I weigh. Uh, this, is, this is like ancient Middle East, right? And this guy's a giant at a time when people live a lot longer than us. So Goliath is this giant, this very tall person, and it's, it's actually not like there are other people in the Bible who are described big and tall like this. He's big and he's strong. And he's, and he's carrying this heavy, enormous armor as well, uh, and, and weapons as well. He sounds scary, doesn't he? He's, he's wearing scaled bronze armor, right? His armor is, is laid on like scales that make him look like a, essentially a giant serpent. An indestructible giant snake ready to fire. And we're told he's the champion of the Philistines. That is, he comes out of the Philistine camp and he's going to be their gladiator. 
He's, he's, he's the guy who's going to represent the army. He sounds like a scary dude, right? And then he throws down this challenge, verse 8. It says, uh, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. If I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Wow. This guy sounds intimidating. He's a bit arrogant too. Uh, the champion of the Philistines calling out Israel, send a champion, choose a man, come out to battle. The winner takes all. Literally, if Israel loses to Goliath, then the whole nation will be enslaved to the Philistines, vice versa. And so you hear this challenge. Choose a man, give us a man, give me a man, let us fight each other. Choose a man amongst you to be your champion, taunting Israel. I imagine that if you're there and I'm there, we'd be like every other soldier in Israel, terrified. In verse 16, we hear that he does this for 40 days. And, and now we all should be thinking the same thing, shouldn't we? Who is, who is the, the tallest, who is the most strongest man in Israel up to this point? Who is the one that Israel has already chosen to go out and fight their battles? Haven't they already chosen their champion? Back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, I've got it on the screen, verse 20. When they pleaded to God to give them the king, then we'll be like all other nations, with the king to lead us, to go out before us, and fight our battles. They've got their champion. It's King Saul, a head taller than the rest, a warrior king. He's Israel's giant. He was the one enthroned to go out and fight their battles. Yet where is this king? We heard it already. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. He's hiding. He's paralyzed and fear, hiding with Israel. Oh, I don't blame him. I mean, Goliath sounds like this giant three-meter Arnold Schwarzenegger type of figure, right? And, like, this is, he, he sounds scary. And while this is happening, David enters the scene. And the scene sort of just changes. Like, he, he just rocks up. Remember, he's Jesse's youngest son. He's a, he's a shepherd boy, the youngest of eight brothers. He's, his three older brothers are already, we're told, he's all, they're already there on the scene with, with Israel's army. He hasn't been invited to the party. He's probably too small. He's got four other brothers who are probably in line before him. He's the last in line. But he rocks up to the, to the scene because his dad tells him, hey, bring some supplies to the battlefront. Bring some supplies, some milk and cheese. While he's there, he hears Goliath. Goliath taunting the Israelite army. He sees everyone cowering in fear. I'll pick it up from verse 26. Got on the screen as well. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Interesting, because so far, we haven't heard anything from David. He hasn't said anything at all, uh, well, at least recorded for us to read in the Bible. These are his first words. And I think the author is trying to tell us something. David wants to acknowledge, who, who is this Philistine? He's speaking up here. Who's this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? How dare this man taunt the people of God? How dare this man uh, offend our God this way? The God who is the God over Israel. The God who has protected them this way. The God who has led them out of slavery of Egypt. The God who has led them to the promised The God who is mighty and majestic in power. How dare this man, this Philistine, say such a thing and threaten God's people like this? David might be young. He might not be a soldier. 
and easy to let this slide. And we see this contrast, don't we? Saul, Israel's king, Israel's supposed champion, sees Goliath. And when Saul sees Goliath, he sees with his eyes this giant, this mighty warrior, and he feels fear. But David, he rocks up, he sees Goliath. And he sees Goliath from God's perspective. Another small, puny human who thinks he's all that. But pales in comparison to the great, mighty, living bodies. David wasn't scared of Goliath. He recognized that God is the one who Goliath should be scared of. Because David had a right view of God and who God is. He recognizes the greatness of God, even in the face of this great giant that's standing before him. And so as the story goes, David stands before Saul, and like uh, like like um, Katniss Everdeen, uh, you know, I'll be tribute, I volunteer. Saul says he's too young, inexperienced to fight this battle, and this is how David responds. Verse 34, which is what we read, I think. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now I read this, and I think, what was I doing in my youth? <laughs> Playing video games, skateboarding, forcing myself to drink bourbon because my friends did it all. Oh, no. That's what I was doing in my teenage years. This guy, David, was fighting bears and lions. Now, not only does, God, does David recognize God, he, he stands in courage remembering God's protection over him. Remembering how God has faithfully rescued him in the, in the past from the mouths of lions and paws of the bear. David is no stranger to danger. But he can see that there is a living God who has in the past protected him. And a God who continues to protect him. It isn't like Saul has it either. Like Saul knows that God has been at work in and through him. But Saul is, is so sure. He isn't thinking about God or God's power. He's afraid. He's so afraid that he'll let this little shepherd boy go into battle for him. He tries to put his own armor onto David, give David his sword, but David is he's encumbered. He's, he's, this is too slight, I can't move. Uh, and I imagine it to be like a teenager who's wearing his dad's suit for the first job interview. It's oversized, uncomfortable. He can't fight in Saul's armor. Instead, he walks into battle with just a staff and a sling and five smooth stones from the stream we're told. Let's be clear now. There's nothing special about these five smooth stones. They're just stones. Uh, too often we read about this, uh, or you hear about this in uh, online YouTube church maybe. Uh, but these stones represent something like faith and prayer and service and obedience and praise. Something like that. You can just use these five stones and you can slay any giant in your life. I'm sure, good intentions, but just not right, right? We read that they're just five stones. Smooth stones. Probably good for singing, maybe. Who knows? He chooses five. As David approaches the battlefield, Goliath sees him and he bellows. Verse 43. Am I a dog that you come with me, uh, that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. 
and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give all of you into our hands. And while Goliath's words sound so terrifying, David responded with confidence and his courage and his boldness. And you can imagine if you're an onlooker, right, watching this, I imagine no one is betting on the underdog here, right? No one is betting on David to win this one. This young, handsome boy with a staff in his hand and stones in a sling. There's no chance. But while Goliath might be a giant, covered in, in this heavy bronze armor, a warrior that has slain thousands before, David comes to this battle covered with something far greater than armor. He comes covered with the power of the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, the God of the armies of Israel. We know what happens, don't we? The battle finishes before it even begins. David runs fearlessly into this battle, taking out his sling, throws a stone, a single stone, at the forehead of Goliath, and Goliath falls face down on the ground. David, he has no sword, but he uses the enemy's sword. He unsheaths it, he kills Goliath, and cuts off his head. little gory detail there, but it's quite interesting, isn't it? Interesting, because if we know the story of 1 Samuel so far up to this point, our minds are brought back, don't, aren't we, like chapter 5, where it looked like the Philistines that were there, the enemy was there, they won the battle in chapter 5, and the Ark of God was captured, but what happened, if you guys remember this, we heard about how they took the Ark of God to the temple of Dagon, the Philistine God, and the next morning they woke up, the statue of Dagon had fallen face down, they put the statue back up, they thought it was odd, go back to sleep, next morning what happens, the statue again is face down, but this time... David's head is cut off. The Philistine God stands no chance against the God of Israel. David flexes not his power here in this battle, but he flexes the power uh, power of God. He shows Israel and the Philistines who the living God is, that this giant Goliath will bow down, face down, and have his head cut off to remember who Yahweh, the living God, is. Well, that's really interesting. If we trace through the story of the whole Bible, doesn't David point us to an even greater champion? One that flexes God's strength and power, who is God's Messiah, God's King, God's Saviour, who rescues God's people ultimately. The one who we're told back in Genesis chapter 3 will crush the serpent's head for us. Jesus has slayed our greatest enemies, Satan, sin and death. And while David uses Goliath's own weapon, We know our Savior Jesus uses death itself, the enemy's weapon. We know Jesus uses death to conquer and achieve victory on the cross. So that Satan and sin have no power over us. The giant has been slain. God has given us our champion. And like David, he's the unexpected king from Bethlehem. An unarmed shepherd leader who might look on the outside small and weak, but is covered with the power of God as he defeats the enemy for us. Some of us, we might have grown up in a church uh, and heard the story. We, we're told, dare to be like David. How to, how to have faith and courage like David, using five stones of, of faith and disciplines to slay your giants. But that's not what's going on here, is it? If you were one of the original readers of the scripture, if you were one of the Israelites back then, hearing this story told, David defeating Goliath, you're not thinking, I can be like David. The truth is, if we're reading this, we should be seeing ourselves in the shoes of Israel. Fearful of the enemy who stands before us, knowing that we're, we, we can't do anything. We're helpless. 
And we should be remembering God and his faithfulness to his people. The God who protects his people and fights for his people and raises up saviors like David. When we try to be like David, aren't we just preaching to ourselves the gospel of self-help? Look within and you can slay your giants. There's a book uh, that was given to me uh, a while back called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. I I really love Malcolm Gladwell. His books, they're great. He tells stories. He empowers leadership, courage, self-help, that sort of stuff. And in this book, though, David and Goliath, he retells his story. He frames it with this underdog theme. David might seem like an underdog, but in reality, Goliath is disadvantaged. He's got the heavy armor on. He's probably suffering from health issues like pituitary gigantism. David is smaller and nimble, and with a sling as his weapon of choice, he strategically defeats Goliath. And he claims that David was always going to win that fight because he's had a greater advantage. And so for the rest of the book, Malcolm Gladwell, he, he helps the reader to see how we can use our weaknesses and strengths to turn our disadvantages into advantages. Uh, I really enjoyed the book, yes, but I thought the author did a terrible job of David and Goliath. Because David doesn't attribute his victory to being strategic, being nimble, being smarter than Goliath. David attributes his victory to God. The goal isn't dare to be like David. David is flawed like the rest of us. He's human. He, later on, he fails morally and sins miserably in his life. The goal isn't to be like David. We're not David in the story. If we're anyone, we're Israel. We have no weapons or ability to defeat this giant on our own. No matter how much strategy or willpower or self-help books will tell you, there is an enemy that we can only hide in fear from. I mean, think about it. Don't you find as much as you want to fight it, there is still sin that has us enslaved? As much as you try, there are times where you just can't be free from it. Yes, we deal with our anger, that's good, but there's still traces of it in our heart. Yes, we become more generous, but there's still traces of greed that pop up here and there. And as much as we want to be patient and kind, there's still times where we're still selfish and self-centered. Sin is a giant we can't defeat on our own. And sin leads us to death. We can't fight death. We can't win against death. Find five smooth stones to sling. You'll still lose. Death will eat you up. We need Jesus. We need God's champion who through his death and resurrection defeats the great enemy for us. See, when we see that, when we trust Jesus, we no longer have to fear. We can have confidence and courage that the great giant that looms over all of us, sin, Satan, death itself, has been defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory, the Bible says. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is such good news for you and I. Do you know this Jesus? Friends, if you don't know this Jesus, I want to invite you to know who he is, this hero, our hero, God's champion. He invites you to know him and have him as your savior. The king that has laid down his life for you. He's laid down his life for you in love. Get to know that. Get to know this king that changes lives. I mean, we talked about earlier, coffee and jeers. Get on, ask questions, dig deep, and discover who this king is, our hero. Now that's, I think, the main point of this story. And as we face the struggles and fears in life, we can look to this great champion. We have Jesus, but it's only when we see him as our hero. Then we can learn the lessons that David gives us. We can learn to see our world, for example, through the right perspective. To see the world through eyes of faith, knowing that there is no giant greater than God. That while we might fear, we have the living, powerful God on our side. 
that the giant we might be facing in life is actually puny in comparison to how magnificent and majestic our God is. That's one thing we can learn. We can also learn from this story to remember his faithfulness in our lives, to, to face our hardships and our struggles, knowing that God is good, that he has shown up before in our lives. Friends, we can, we can cultivate our faith in the face of, of fear when we trust the God who has come through for us in the past. See, when life gets hard, and it will, it will get hard, we need to remember how God has been there for us. And he never says that there won't be real fears, there won't be hardships in this life, there will be. There will be times where we have to face our anxieties and our, and our loneliness and the injustices, the struggle against sin, the difficult relationships, that feeling of insecurity or uncertainty with our future. We'll have to face those times. All those things that seem like giants in our lives. But in those moments, we also need to look back and see how God has carried us through before. We need to see the, the fingerprints of God in our lives. See how He has come through with his powerful and providential hand, trust him. Trust him, even when the trials and the tribulations seem so overwhelming, so ginormous, even when we feel so small. Realize that we have a big God, and remember that this God has got our back. And while God is powerful, that he can help us fight the battles in this life, there'll be times you'll win, yes. There'll also be times that you might There'll be times he'll heal you, mend your broken relationships, give you the rest and restoration your soul needs. But there might be times as well that you might not slay the giants that you face in your day to day. And as hard as those moments are, we can still anchor in present comes. It'll be okay. We can have confidence and courage as we run after our champion who has gone ahead of us, who has already won the battle before us. Our earthly struggles, they're temporary. But what God has secured is eternal. Keep running after our champion who has secured for us that freedom and peace only he can give us. Keep running after him because the giant has been defeated. Glory to our King Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray now and let's help. Let's ask God to help us keep our eyes fixed on this champion. Father, thank you for our King. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to have courage and confidence in him, the one who has gone ahead of us. May, our spirit, may your spirit empower us, reminding us of your, your greatness so that we don't have to fear the struggles and the enemies in our lives. Because the greatest enemy in life has already been saved. Help us to keep trusting him. And as we do, as we do that, may we, uh, may we point others too to, to the great hero our world needs, the saviour we have in Jesus.